2: Hello and welcome to the WWE Money in the Bank 2022 review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Daddy boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that happened on this weekend's premium live event. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have roundtable discussions, uh, wrestler interviews, and we host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture Hamlet, what did you think of money in the bank in summary before we delve
3: into it match by match a pretty big disappointment truthfully not on the strength of the card which i didn't think was that special going in but as a ardent defender of wwe as a monthly product and of the like the overarching quality of the premium live events as a rule, and of course this is going to be a rule proven exception I think, um, I would say this was a disappointment. They have managed to uphold a certain standard that we've discussed at length in other as to the whys and hows that is. Money in the Bank didn't live up to that for a number of reasons and I'm also quite looking forward to picking at the stuff that from, because it's Saturday, it's Monday here in the UK, we've given like unusually for our premium live and there's a couple of days breathing space and stuff. I've seen feedback from a Quite loud majority that I think I disagree with quite a lot of. So I'm looking forward. We haven't really discussed as much over the desks. Why would we? It's not AEW. Um, but I'm quite looking forward to getting into this with you and indeed getting some other conversation out there because I'm not sure I saw what it seemed like a lot of people did on Saturday. My take generally on the WWE PLE
2: is that it's nice to watch good wrestlers work um, almost to their absolute best. Mm. There is obviously like regulations and their are prohibited in certain ways to do what they can do. I still think it's an indictment truthfully that a lot of the conversation around like the sort of the 2021 or 2022 PLE is oh it's better that it's our 4 hours yeah. or oh, it's so much better than the the, the TV shows because there's no writing. I still think that a, a company with the resources that WWE has. Everything it does on some level is unacceptable. Um, On the subject of unacceptable, we get to the very (laughs) first match, which is the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. And oh my God, this was kind of terrifying and piss poor. Except at the very start, when Asuka and Becky Lynch started the match, and to do so, Asuka just smashed her repeatedly in the face with like multiple consecutive spinning back fists. Mm. It set this urgent could end at any time tone, which the match absolutely woefully could not live up to because it was very drawn out. It was incredibly, almost notoriously, instantly notoriously sloppy. Um... There was some decent stuff in and around it, I guess, and um, the good thing is that the person who won, Liv Morgan, um, did the best spot in the match, and she was basically a credit to herself. The Sunset flip power bomb powerbomb um, that she hit on someone, I can't remember, these things are a bit messy and a bit sort of all over the place, um, was perfectly timed, it was um, so well done that it sort of... Combined, the risk factor with something that genuinely didn't need, like the suspended ladder bridge or a convoluted setup to get there. It was just, it felt like they'd structured the spot as a moment of opportunistic daredevilry from Liv Morgan without any convoluted setup. That was basically the high point of a match that otherwise was pretty damn terrible. And there was elsewhere a lot of convoluted setup to get the spots in place, as is always the case um, with a multi-man ladder match, but it just felt like such a struggle to get through, uh, to get there. I was sort of like moving my hands as if I could carry the ladders for them. I don't think I could do a particularly good job <laughs> either, but let's be honest, they didn't. And quite frankly, this match is going to be remembered if if not for the um, finish. And the very popular result, we should add, for Shotzi Blackheart's individual performance, which we don't want to just go two-footed and isolate, but quite frankly, it was horrendous. It was an indictment of the performance center. Um in my opinion, because if she was to learn anything in that system, it was to be a more complete, well-rounded, fundamental professional wrestler. And yet she's regressed so much that she can no longer do the one thing that she was sort of known for on the independent scene and the buzz with which she even got into uh, the attention of WWE in the first place was absolutely demented plunder brawl spots. She really can't even do that anymore. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence. I don't know if that system is just so inept. But there were two really sort of um, revealing and um, glaring uh, moments where she tried to run up the ladder, failed dismally, and when she recovered, she did this sort of... Um, I guess it was like a flat liner from the top turnbuckle yeah. onto the ladder. And it just looked so unbelievably weak. And then in a moment that I can't even tell what was meant to go on. It was um, Shotzi had Alexa Bliss on her shoulders. And just sort of her knees buckled in this incredible time to stand still moment of just rubbish. Rubbish pro wrestling. She sort of just landed Alexa Bliss clumsily against the back of the ladder. I don't know if it was meant to be a... Uh, what's the move where it's like you have someone on your shoulders and you just lean backwards
3: uh, what like a fall away slam sort of like, well just
2: when they're on the shoulders um, Bobby Lashley did it to over- oh the grace fix
3: kind of pin or-
2: no no no, no. When, so, when, you, when you're a wrestler and you've hmm. got someone on, the, on your shoulders and instead of like doing you just lean backwards I don't know what it's called it's escaping me at present okay i don't know if shots was trying to do that i don't know if she was going to do that but the idea was for alexa to sort of land with her back to the ladder but get her mm. feet on the rungs and then climb up or whatever it was just a complete mess as you can tell from our description it was almost impossible <laughs> to describe um there was certain power spots that made no sense whatsoever raquel rodriguez her role in the match was to get over as the powerful one And she did the spot where she put her legs between the ladder rungs when it was lying down to, like, sort of hit other people as she brought it up. Then she got herself trapped. Absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense of a spot. They did one thing with Becky Lynch and Asuka where, I still don't think the timing was right, and it just clipped the end. I'll say one thing for Liv Morgan in the finish this will be viewed as not a complete and utter dismal failure because she was the star of the match and in fact the winner so at the finish um looked like she was about to teeter over onto the ropes but in a moment of wonderful physical timing she got a foot on the top rope um sort of rebounded back to get the ladder in place climbed up um retrieved the briefcase from the carabiner I've always wanted to learn that. When I learned <laughs>
3: that word four years ago, I always make sure to use it in every single review I do. I always do. think of Carabiner, because it makes me think of the song, oh Carolina, by Shaggy. So I go, Oh Carabiner. That's how I Humans are just stupid, aren't we? We're the worst. We're the
2: worst. We're the worst. How did
3: we win? I don't know. How, how
2: did the <laughs> Fed win? My big takeaway, honestly, from the show, was if somehow WCW won, right? Mm. And they just won. And pro wrestling looks just radically different to how it does now. If a startup, right? Yeah tried to get a national TV deal or whatever with the booking, the production, the presentation of WWE, no one would care. The only reason why this company continues to exist and even win a war um, is that there are enough fans who are just used to it and this is all they know. If there was a startup on a completely different wrestling landscape that tried to do this and people simply weren't accustomed to it because it didn't exist, it's a startup; it would never get off the ground, it would die a death, because
3: so much of the show was so beige and or sloppy in the extreme. Sloppy in the extreme is the sort of perfect segue for me, isn't it? Um, this, was, yeah, this was detrimental to every woman in it, I think, with the exception of Liv Morgan. Another note on that finish that I, I genuinely thought was quite elegant was not just Liv's performance of that very difficult and intricate spot propelling herself off the rope, but the fact that four other women had been pushed off the ladder to their doom. Ultimately, they'd landed on the top rope or they'd fell off the side. Liv Morgan, as with the powerbomb spot, had shown great intuition and a will to win and a desire to do more than the rest. So it wasn't just presented as Liv having this cool trick in her pocket. It was, she can do what the other women can't to win. And I thought some actual thought had been put into the finish. And crucially, this had, um, because I'm going to be critical of it in a second, so I'll just a little bit more praise. This had what the men's match didn't, and we'll get onto this later on, One of the only tells now in WWE of whether or not the audience are with somebody, and this has gone on for years, is when they are climbing that Money in the Bank ladder because you can feel that ground soil of support. You can feel the noise rising. If they are with, a bit, and it's a baby face, because the opposite is true of a heel as well. There is a nervousness and a tension, and the booze start raining down. If they're with a baby face, rung by rung, that crowd gets louder and louder and louder. And they had it in this match with Liv Morgan. like It was identified. Whether or not the story's been told on television, I don't think it has. She had a pretty rubbish programme with Becky Lynch, and has kind of done nothing but moan ever since. The six-person six programme with the Judgment Day, I think helped her. Yeah. But outside of that, I don't think her individual promo game has been particularly strong or has told the story of a baby face on a heroic journey, the hero's journey that she then lived out on this pay-per-view. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of that, right? But the fans are with her nonetheless, and you could feel it when she was going to win. There was one person in this match they desperately wanted to win, and it was her, and that was what was getting delivered on the night. So it was a nice case, at least, of them spotting that that was that was going to occur, and they framed the match around Liv Morgan's two or three Not just heroic, not just athletically impressive, but smart moments. The babyface was actually clever and had prepped for this match. Unlike, say, a Becky Lynch, who did a few things impulsively such as that jump, she was like, ah, why not? The ladder is there. The idea was, she's kind of getting a little bit desperate. The downward spiral continues. She should be smarter than this. She's been at the top of the mountain. She knows how to be there. She knows how to stay there and has let it all slip a little bit, unlike Liv Morgan, who was kind of on that journey. I thought those details were actually genuinely quite nice. The performance of almost everything else in this match was a a total disaster, and I include the Becky Lynch slide-off in that. I think she was probably trying to protect Asuka a little bit. Um... But nonetheless, maybe don't do that spot. Think of another way to illustrate the point without having to uh, compromise it to protect your opponent. A lot of the ladder stuff didn't work. Um, Rodriguez like, feels like we're singling her out for criticism. Like, We're not. She was required to be the monster, be the giant, as she's of a division in this match. But ladders are really heavy. You or I couldn't lift ladders above our heads. And yet she was required at various points. She had to build a bridge with one. She had to swing them wildly. And They're massive, and they made her look weaker by comparison, as she wouldn't do if she was throwing women around. Ladders are inanimate objects, heavy ones at that. And I just think there's. this has happened a couple of times in the women's versions of the ladder matches. It looks so much more laborious to set up that by the time you arrive at what's supposed to be the tension of the spot, all the air has been sucked out of the building anyway, and then ladders don't break, or they don't make the noise that the the heavier men landing on the, the heavier bodies landing on the ladders make. You don't get that in the women's matches. So they're putting their bodies through all sorts of trouble without the benefit. You know, men complain about ladders not having anywhere near the noise of a table or of a chair, but being twice as painful. Double that for the women, because you're not getting the impact either. You're not getting the moment, the gasps in the building. Shotsy Blackheart smashed the back of her head off a ladder on that high spot. Probably, like, bled from the looks of it. I don't know if that was just part of her makeup, but it didn't look good. Yeah. Did the audience react? No, they just saw somebody jumping off and taking a chance, and you didn't get any kind of impact noise that registered with a, a live crowd. So it was, I think, it was a, a multifarious disaster. This match, really, other than the outcome, which I think it hid a lot of ills, and it, it in terms of the live crowd response, it made up for like a lot of significant problems. I think this whole concept needs a rethink. It's a really difficult thing to suggest without sounding like a misogynist, and I. So, I want to phrase this correctly. Those ladders are too big, cumbersome, and like unwielding for a lot of these matches, and this happens in the men's matches too, at this point, you're gimmicking ones to break. Can we not just gimmick more ladders on these pay-per-views in general? Keep one that's a sturdy one for the benefit of the big climb or whatever, and a taller one as well to make it safe for the wrestlers. You've got about 20 ladders around there for these men's and women's matches. Just gimmick them up. Let's have sprayed balsa ladders and be done with it. Because they're clearly really hurting themselves. There was one point where a ladder was damaged in this match and then they were using it to climb. And it made for great drama, but it was legitimately a rickety ladder. What if it had fallen over? Yeah, no. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is fake. There should be ways in which to protect the wrestlers while getting all the impact you want. You pre-saw the tables. There's got to be a way to Hollywood up the ladders too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just two more points on that in general. One, we're consistent. I was burying, like, props in wrestling should be analysed just like everything else in wrestling should be. Uh, the, I had problems with the blood and guts cage. Like, wrestling needs better props at this mm. point. Like, I hated the, the sort of foot, long gap between the ring apron and the cage because you can't do anything Hell in a Cell-like um, around it. You miss the, the the satisfying sort of flailing bump when someone just gets thrown into it and stumble backwards because they have to sort of crumple their way into the bump because they know they could get their leg caught or anything like that. Um, and just on ladders in general, I was sort of... you know When you hear someone say something, it's like, Jesus Christ, I haven't thought of it that way. Mm. John Oxley, who likes to bleed in every single match, <laughs> likes to, he will bump willingly on thumbtacks, through tables, um, get dumped on his head, dump other people on his head. Like, he's one of the most violent pro wrestlers out there. He hates ladder matches. Mm. He hates them. And he just doesn't want to do them because he thinks they are, like, sort of, even for him, they're a bit too much. So, yeah, absolutely, this should be sort of tweaked, I think, in terms of the prop department. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, Shotzi was horrendous. But Liv Morgan. Um, was very good in this match, and it was all about her. So I think they really—they still won. Yeah. Uh, to use something from their own lands. So after that, um, WWE United States Championship match. Um, Bobby Lashley is your new United States champion, having defeated Theory clean in the ring. That um, comment I made earlier about the podcast of this format book and presentation style only works because WWE has been synonymous with pro wrestling for a while. Uh, Spoiler alert for upcoming um, in the podcast. Theory was just put in the Money in the Bank ladder match despite losing this match later on because there's a corrupt heel authority figure who has spent at least a year at this point Mm. having problems with the fact that Sonya Deville is corrupt and he's been sort of the good cop (laughs) and it's just all a complete and utter disgrace um, where nothing can mean anything. Match results and the motives of characters, it's all a complete and utter nonsense. But before we got to that, I didn't think this was too bad at all. Um, It wasn't particularly a great match, but there were certain moments um, that I kind of popped and I thought they're sort of working well with the dynamic that exists um, between the characters where Austin Theory was playing the sort of impetuous entitled dickhead, whose dickhead heel character thinks he can do things to Bobby Lashley, not realizing that Bobby Lashley is sort of a human trap and could just sort of catch him on his shoulders and create more damage. There was one sound effect in this match where um, Theory tried to jump off the ring apron to Lashley on the outside after a bit of a stumble that looked better because it looked like he was actually using real strength, yeah, and not something too cooperative or choreographed. He manages to finally get M. Um, Theory on his shoulders and just smash his head against the ring post. Sound effect was absolutely tremendous. Um, and there were certain moments of Austin Theory's subsequent heat spot that I thought were quite good, where he's sort of like jumping and using his athleticism. And the springboard from the canvas to the top turnbuckle. But then it gets rest hold heavy as most of these matches in WWE tend to do. Um, Ultimately, um, Lashley counters the A-Town down and wins with a hurt lock in about 11 minutes. I thought this was kind of an over-delivery. I still never got the impression that it was something on the level of a real breakthrough performance from um, theory, the sort that you can't really ignore even if you think he's a knobhead in real life and um, the sort where it's like undeniable that he's on the precipice of winning a Money in the Bank briefcase and entering the conversation as a main event talent or winning the WWE title. I thought this was good. This is on Raw. I'd be like Jesus Christ, this is actually really good but because it's on a premium live event and we're being asked now to take theory seriously as a almost guaranteed at this point world champion. We know how the briefcase works. This fell short of that.
3: Yeah, I a bit like the opener, I suppose. I like this more by the end because I bought it. We talked um, in various previews that there was no way for um, WWE to sell us that Theory could beat Lashley strictly within the confines of the story, um, regardless of how milquetoast a wrestler Theory is, because he is. There was no believable way that you could set up a Theory win beyond Lashley being an idiot, beyond some sort of cheat finish, whatever, like, some awful thing like a big guy hits his, hits the ring post that they love relying on that Strowman used to get beat with all the yeah, time. Yeah. There's just no way you could do it right and they didn't. So I, I quite like that I didn't feel patronised by the end because it actually it sold the story of the match way more. My, I was underrating this match because of my inbuilt cynicism, doing the whole, like the, the cell of the spear of him just being afraid and going to ground. So it was really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lashley is a giant man and he's running towards you and you're a little In sniveling... The fetal position. A little yeah. sniveling coward goes into the fetal position. That's exactly what Theory would do. The size disparity between them means that well, I'm not going to counter it by standing up to him, so I'll do that instead. Um, elements of that are much preferred when Lashley won because it's like, yep, yeah, Theory tried and tried and tried, couldn't do it and lost. The work to get there once theory was in control was dreadfully dull. WWE don't mind dreadfully dull, but as a fan experience, we've seen this time and time again. You know, like, we've kind of joked about it, but Randy Orton, like just overnight success, poof, 20 years and done. He's actually a hot wrestler. Like all it took was all of those years of boring chin locks and look how many times they pushed him off the back of these dreadfully boring matches. So theory is right where WWE want him to be. But as a fan, I'm not engaging with any of it. I don't think he might find itself is funny or whatever, but I don't think that remotely applies to the body of a match, which is what, as a WWE heel, he'll be expected to control. Not least when the funnest elements of these matches were the bits where he was trying to think of anything, something, anything, in an act of desperation to beat Bobby Lashley. Those were the highs. The rest weren't even lows. They were too boring to be lows. The finish was good, but again, um, I find Lashley on his knees with that United States title like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12, yeah. completely fake. It's just, this is a guy that grabbed a replica WWE title out of the crowd as if to basically call his shot regardless of what the office say. Yeah. I want this. Well, um, apparently the referee
2: was scrambling in the moment to tell him to do it. They had an opportunistic... Okay, right, right. Um, sort of bit of inspiration where they realized, oh, there's a replica belt there and the referee was imploring him to go and grab it. So right. the idea was, they're trying to plant the idea in our minds. why oh, he's going to be next in line.
3: But no, say so, like, wasn't. you've got WWE title now. We've got WWE title at home. It's yeah, called yeah, the United yeah. States Championship. It just it felt like there's no way that doesn't feel like a downgrade. So, Lashley winning is one thing, but it's very much, uh, I don't know, order restored, I suppose, because theory is the McMahon favorite, and yeah. then obviously order is unre- restored later on. So, I don't know. The the desperation spots were cute, but I, I was lower on this than you were, I think.
2: Yeah, I was, I was. Honestly, I just thought I wasn't completely bored. Out of my mind? (laughs) for a WWE match, honestly. I know I shouldn't do it on a passing grade, but that's ultimately how I felt. Um, In a weird moment, I don't know. This makes the heel move even more of a heel move in retrospect, um, Liv Morgan got interviewed. Um, she basically said that she doesn't know who she's going to cash in on because neither women's title match had happened yet. Uh, but she only gets one chance to do this. She's not going to um, squander it. Um, and she sort of alludes to WrestleMania being the destination mm. for the cash in. Um, up next, Bianca Belair retained the Raw women's title against Carmella. Huh, depending on, am I am I in a forgiving mood or not? I'm half tempted to give this a pass right because... Um, Rhea Ripley, obviously, was the originally scheduled challenger. Um, so I think the match structure would have been very different to Theory versus Lashley. Had that match happened, I think it just would have been a nice sort of Hoss prize fight. Uh, but ultimately, it was Carmella, and the dynamic that exists between babyface, stronger person, and smaller sort of obnoxious heel meant that structurally this match was almost identical. or It had a very different sort of... Um, like personality to it, I guess. Carmella wasn't doing the exact same things Theory did, but i literally just seen it, so even if, yes, this is the match they felt they had to do, um, should they have sequenced it almost immediately after Theory versus Lashley, I think there's a failure there. Um, it was okay. Carmella still has a personality. Bianca Belair is still enormously popular, so it was a nice sort of 10-minute-ish attraction. I thought it was fine, but genuinely given... Carmella was desperate for this opportunity to prove that she isn't just someone booked to be a diva in a women's wrestling world. This fell short again of the hype going into it of, oh, you know, don't, you know, sleep on this one. Mm. If I'd slept on this one, I don't think I would have missed much.
3: No, you could fall asleep during this one and you wouldn't miss much. This is a raw match to build to a raw match. I was really disappointed with this. I thought they were going to pluck some opportunity from the disappointment of losing Rhea Ripley. And to be fair, one of the bigger matches they've got probably in the women's division, You know, um, Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley is something they can go back to another time and it will mean just as much. The, why why at the very last minute build Carmella as somebody, as you say, you shouldn't sleep on and why invite people to be reminded that once in a while, when permitted to, she can enter in a very credible performance on the night. This idea that she doesn't really get the opportunities to do that, so she has to take them when she does, and then deliver this. Why? Well, I know why. Is because they're going to rerun it on Raw. The Raw match will be substantially better than this one. You know, she beats her up after the finish, right? So they're setting up, at, you know. And then the cheek of Carmella will be walking down the aisle and being like, ha, got you, got you. You've just lost the match. You haven't got her. She's pinned Yeah, This is, in like a normal setup, this is over. You don't get another go at this. But she's attacked her after the match. She's saying, "Ah, 1-0, see you later. Can Do you sh- imagine, right, in a Premier League football game? Yeah. It's Everton versus Villa, right?
2: And uh, it's... Everton just win 2-0. And at the end of the game, like, Coutinho gets the ball, right? And he just kicks it in an empty net Yeah, as the fans are filtering out, <laughs> right? And Coutinho goes, uh-huh. ah, yeah, I've round. got a goal. This is the real quiz. I've got a goal. That means next week, right? We're going to do the away fixture. <laughs> like, why would this ever happen? Yeah. How does this make a match? The result was beyond decisive. Mm-hmm. It went seven minutes. Like, to pad out the three-hour runtime. like, you'll see at least two matches on roll that go longer than this. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if, like, she just made such quick and easy work of Carmella here. So the idea that they're going to build, like, it's such a booking um, that's what I'm looking for, like a prat fall, I guess, or just a trap that they set themselves up. It's just a plot hole, basically, because if Carmella can do this after being soundly defeated in seven minutes, and these are again conversations I've had for six years in on one platform or another in my professional career at what culture, if you can just get beat easily, handily, seven minutes, right, and then you can just beat the person who's beat up the person who's just defeated you in a wrestling match, and then get a match, right? Yeah. Why doesn't everyone do this? Ever? Why is Every Theory going match? to the trouble
3: of befriending Vincent Mann to get his advantages when there's a million different ways to get advantages? All you can do is just
2: like, if you are in, I know AEW does this as well and all the rest of it, but ultimately they sort of, you wouldn't get Tony and he's beating up John Moxley on this week's Dynamite, mm. right? After the match, and then they have a match. Like, at least they do a little bit of work where it's like, oh, he's one you on want Dark or they just want a Royal Rumble or whatever. Like, this is, you've just been beaten. You weren't booked particularly well up until that point, but because you've just done a post-match attack, you're more likely than not going to get a match. It's pathetic. If this doesn't happen, I will admit fault, because if there's one thing this angle had going for it, it was a bit of tension in the air, Mm. and it kind of made um, WWE wrong-foot the audience at the end of the Ronda-Charlotte match, the the Ronda-Natalia match later, in that people were kind of, oh, is Carmella going to come out now? So I think they realized they they wanted fans to realize. Oh, hang on. All right, okay, it's not going to happen tonight because why would Liv Morgan, a babyface, do that? Now it still doesn't excuse the fact that the babyface <laughs> cashed in. Basically, all roads lead to WWE being absolutely terrible. Um, the next match is probably the best match on the show, um, despite the fact that the CGI usos just looked absolutely oh. like hor- like horrifying. Basically, yeah. absolutely horrifying. Um I had a very cynical take on Twitter about this and the mega fans will forgive me for repeating on this podcast. Every Usos match on pay-per-view is a match of two halves. The first half is unnecessarily and tediously long without really building towards anything and the
3: second half is Michael Cole screaming his head off
2: at like <laughs> quite quite good action to really sell you on the fact that you're watching a classic. It feels so. a
3: crueler addition that take when you
2: finished as well. Yeah. yeah. So it just felt like a really, really self conscious thing, more than a really great wrestling match. It just aspired to be mm. a pro wrestling classic when I just don't think it was. And they had their shortcuts. So I think wrestling fans have been trained, right? Where if a match goes a certain amount of time, can't possibly be bad. If this goes 20 minutes or however long it went, that's yeah. well, a long match. It must be good. So they're playing with that. Four recorders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're playing with that sensibility of long matches equal good. If it starts slow, right, get into this, and then Michael Cole screaming his head off is like conditioning. If I'm screaming this loudly, the action must be good, and some of it really was, but I was just put off by the whole presentation. So basically, you get a ten minute long Usos heat spot after the opening and shine, and it is going on and on and on and on, and it's not necessarily to build tension or to establish story threads that pay off at the finish. They do this, one, because fans have been conditioned to expect long matches to automatically be great, and two, they think you're thick. People don't get this. I beat this drum all the time. WWE thinks you're stupid, and the basic slow action isn't because they want you to be bored. It's because they don't think you can keep up with something just blistering mm. um, or a sprint or something really brutal like a pro. They don't think you can get this or for whatever reason it's been like this for years and years and years. Anyway, the second half of the match, despite Michael Cole's absolutely obnoxious screaming, is actually very good indeed. Not blow away great, not much of the air tier, but very, very good indeed. Um, Montez Ford's dive over the from the ring over the turnbuckle to the outside is tremendous. There were some near falls that were great. Yes, Angelo Dawkins did that. Oh my God, I can't believe they kicked out of that face. Um, the blockbuster near fall was particularly good, but then they ruined it with tropes or Michael Cole's voice. I was just kind of irritated by this as it <laughs> went on because I kind of thought they were desperately telling me what the match was, mm. rather than um, me really enjoying it. And if that sounds is a cynical take, right? They did this thing where Montez Ford is huge now; he's swole, yeah. and uh, they really emphasised this as part of the match, and.
4: a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp, help h e l p.com slash whatculture.
2: This take I have isn't just sort of latent cynicism about WWE's approach. They did this thing where Montez Ford tried to get moved off his feet by one of the Usos, like from a flying shoulder bar, just something or other. And on commentary, they said, oh, the old Montez Ford's bulked up for this exact match because the old Montez Ford would have been sort of bowled over by this move, but now he's much bigger. He's got a chance to win. And they try to treat this as as a story thread. And then the second the commentator said this, seconds later, he just took a bump. Yeah, Like, it was the easiest thing in the world. And it's like, not... Telling stories here, mm. you're trying to do it, then you're realizing that there's just communication issues between the agents and the commentary, and nothing really means anything. Ultimately the Usos win, but the story of the match is Montez Ford had a shoulder upgrade, Great inept referees. Um I just thought they were telling me this was a classic match. And in doing so, what was a very good match was almost tainted by the fact that it just felt like they were shouting in my face. Like literally in the case of Michael Cole, shouting in my face that this was something way more than it was. And if they just stopped doing that, I would have enjoyed this far more for what it was, which was a very good tag team match.
3: See, I don't even think it was a very good tag team match. I think it was a very good five minutes, which if we're saying the match was 20 minutes long, a quarter of enjoying a quarter of the match is not enough for me to classify this as very good. I saw a lot of praise for this, and I do understand why. About three and a half. I was absolutely up a height for a couple of the near falls at the end. They got me right. But it's occurred to me, because it was the match that Usos had against RK-Bro, and it was when they unified the titles right, where this really hit me. And this is not to neg the Usos specifically, because they are required to perform a role that they are doing at the moment. And it's mostly the case that... They, enter, they they rarely enter bad matches, right? They're not sloppy. They're super consistent. They're required to work a lot in the absence of Roman Reigns especially, right? So they'll wrestle and they'll be like goons later on and all that kind of thing. But these matches have been reduced to modern era versions of JBL title matches or Honky Tonk Man Intercontinental title matches. What that is, is it's a cheat code, right? You have heels that at this point have held title for a very very long time they kept telling you that they're coming up on 350 days or they've just passed what, a year we're looking yeah. at about a year with these belts and the heels right so you want them to lease so even happening with Roman Reigns but you never see him wrestle enough to notice this whereas the Usos have to do this shtick all the time Um the crowd came unglued for the near falls because it's a pro wrestling cheat code yes these belts have been with these baddies for a long time and you might be in the building where that Stranglehold is brought to an end and you get that incredible celebratory moment. It's like, you know, the money in the bank is just a very, like, it's a, like, super intense heated microcosm. That's not the word I'm after, but you know what I mean? Like, that's sort of a, you get that all in a split second with a cash. Yeah. In. But, you know, a year's worth of a chokehold on these belts and you're going to see the baby faces say save the day. That's how these pinfalls are, like, generate such heat. It's not down to a body part. It's not down to a quick tags and cutting the ring off or anything like that, there is a lot, a lot of drab build-up to get to that point that then one thing doesn't connect to the other. It's not the, all the pieces suddenly fit in. Yeah. I was trying to find um, justification. You know, you made the point about Montez Ford being, like, loads bigger now and that being part of the commentary, that maybe the Usos were capturing him. You know, like how he muscled out with a pinfall? Yeah. And maybe that's what it was. Like, he's so big now, he can kick out and all that sort of stuff. But it's not. Like, the Usos were holding him in a pinfall that intentionally brought his shoulder off the ground. So I couldn't even tie yeah. that to the end. Like, if that had been part of the finish, Montez Ford has got so much more in the chamber than he used to because he's a bigger guy or whatever. But he couldn't even really do that. They'd not thought that much. What they thought was, we can keep it slow 15 minutes. We've all got really cool stuff in our locker for the last five, and the fans want to see us lose, yeah. and we'll rely on that and its formula. And, like, the Usos are 50 times the wrestlers that JBL and the Honky Tonk Man were... But the formula in the last five minutes is effectively the same. Yeah. These heels want to do whatever they can to escape with the belts, and the fans are desperate to see them lose them. There is an argument, I guess, to suggest that that shows a bit of patience by keeping the belts in them all this time. But I cannot, I, like me personally, I cannot reward this match with glitter and praise because of that. Um, I think this match was, I think they were trying to tell you this was amazing because when you get that finish, you've got a clamour for the rematch. Yeah, oh, I want another go at this, and this time it's going to work out for the Street Profits. And if and when it doesn't, perhaps that generates a split and blah blah. Which I think they're putting some work into. You know, there was talk on SmackDown about the Usos trying to get in the Street Profits' head by saying, you know, it's said that you're not getting along as much as you used to and all that. So I don't think it's going to be unearned if and when they do the inevitable split. Yeah. But I just think this Usos formula is, I think it's phony. It's I think phony it's phony as hell. I isn't think it? it's. I think it's. I feel like, like, don't work me. I feel like you know, like you say about being shouted out about the formula of the match. I've seen this from inferior wrestlers and people not stopped to praise the work. They'd be like, oh, the, you're cheating things here. But the Usos are technically really sound, so the match looks better yeah. as a result, and I just, I'm not having it. I get it. It's
2: the exact same thing as the Roman Reigns versus Edge program last year, which might have yeah. actually been at Money in the Bank, mm-hmm. where it's just 15 minutes of very little. Of course you want to see the body lose the belt because he's had it for ages. Yeah. So of course you do. That's ingrained. And it's just like this first 12 to 15 minutes, or in this case, first 10, where it's just nothing happening, nothing happening. They're not slowly building the drama. They're just doing things for the sake of the cosmetic, quote-unquote, epic match. And it's not a Tanahashi thing. It's not an Okada thing. It's nowhere near, like a Danielson thing. It's nowhere near where things in the first five minutes pay
3: off in the 20th. It's just not... a That's not what's happening here. So they took Dawkins out, the Usos did. Having tried to get into their heads in the build-up, they took Dawkins out of the match so he wouldn't be there to make the save for Ford, right? And then you're like, well, is that going to play in? And then you see the replays and you realise it was a dodgy shoulder thing, a referee call. So it's not even the Dawkins not being there for him. But could you not have built to that earlier in the match by maybe hobbling Dawkins? So not only are you putting him through a table, you've worked the knee relentlessly and you've... So even if he'd managed to get up from the wreckage, it's just too late because yeah. he's holding a leg or something like that. You know, like, give, me, give me that. Give me, give me a crumb of when this breakup happens or the Street Profits' inability to beat the Usos is rooted in the last match they have because the Usos are such tag team specialists. Yeah. They will break you down mentally and then they'll play on that by breaking you down physically as well. There's almost none of that. Almost none of it. Yeah, no, I'm completely inclined to agree. We've got an incredibly cruel vignette,
2: right, following this match, where until the, the very, the Twitter sleuths Discover that there's certain imagery Aye. in the vignette that corresponds with Edge and his history in WWE. Um, I thought the theme was coming back. Yeah. WWE was so much more interesting, not in a good way, mind you, but so much more interesting and fascinating and easier to dunk on or just create discourse about when the theme was at large. Yeah. <laughs> That's the
3: exact words <laughs> I had in my head the theme
2: at large. The theme at large. I thought, is he going to be at large again? <laughs> but unfortunately, no, it's going to be Edge and like. <sighs> Such a easy opportunity to go, I didn't want to do spooky stuff. Yeah. So let's just not do that. Let's be Banner again, right? Let's hire Gerwitz so I'm allowed to be Banner again because clearly I can't do it on my own. And so it's it's a vignette for Edge. Cool. (laughs) Um, Following which we got a uh, SmackDown Women's title match in which, as everyone in the entire universe predicted, Ronda Rousey retained against Natalia. There was one cool Shawn Michaels spot which sort of livened up the um, atmosphere away from Well, it's effectively a match that, A, this audience isn't exactly trained to go along with. Mm. Um, It was different, and they should maybe be applauded for trying something different, but it was not the right match for this audience. The right match for this audience is an Usos, (laughs) uh, Street Profits match, where the the near falls, the stuff that they're not meant to be... um, They're not meant to emphasize the near falls and hot action. It's about telling stories, but... But if you look at the crowd reaction, they like near falls and hot action at right. the end of a match. This wasn't that. This was a submission-based match that, again, A, didn't really work for this audience that aren't trained to like this style of wrestling. B, nor was it a particularly great version of this mm. kind of match, which compounded a um, pretty flat audience reaction. Um, Yeah, Ronda Rousey spent a lot of time selling in this
3: match, which I thought was as tedious as it was unconvincing. It really suffered from the half-baked build as well. If you're going to have... so. I think, at the very, very last minute, so pretty much from Ronda getting the sharpshooter on into the, the closing stretch, the Shawn Michaels sharpshooter, and then everything they tried after that. I don't know MMA. Like, if Will Born was here, he'd maybe be able to explain some of these a bit more. But what I do know is, from what I've seen from the likes of Zack Sabre Jr. matches, right? I can buy pretty much any wrestling hold as being painful if... The execution is If the execution is smooth. So when there's a straight arm or a leg and Zach Saber Jr. grabs it and wrenches on it, it's like, oh, you shouldn't have left that there because this is the guy that grabs that, right? And in the last couple of minutes of this, they were doing that. The final transition from, I think it was Natalia going for one more sharpshoot and she puts a leg and arm in and that's what Ronda catches and like clings on, you know, and she's got all this submission game. Her arm is just down at a forty-five degree angle, but I'll buy that as a pain. Yeah. debilitating arm lock. It's Kurt Angle doing the ankle lock; he's just holding the foot and twisting it a bit. But I'll buy that as the end of the world in pro wrestling. You know, um, some of them transitions were really, really good, but a lot of the match was worked to that standard. And especially when you're doing it at like the five-minute mark and the fans, as you say, it's like a bit of a training thing. They just they're not and they haven't been told to come up for a finish yet, so they're not. It's not going to play like a flash win if Ronda gets the win in five minutes off a yeah. transition exchange. It's a well we're building to the finish. We're only now just about to set up for the finish. So it just didn't totally work. I'd, the present, I don't know what they could have even done to make the presentation better. Maybe not have the story be about bickering over Twitter about cosmetic surgery and yeah. Natalia throwing push chairs at Ronda. And if you're going to do this, like if Natalia says something as, look, you only got into this with my help, like my training. You've fought with me in training rings, so you know what I'm capable of and you shouldn't have patronised me and taken me for granted. And they just tried that. This might have landed more, you know. May, maybe not, maybe there yeah. was nothing that was this WWE. Crowd. It's Natalia in, yeah. in a high profile title match after 10
2: years. Yeah. it's almost so impossible. May, to maybe give this is chance,
3: but like this sort of thing might have even worked better with a Shayna Baszler because there's that sort of like inbuilt knowledge that they're both from a background and credibility or, with it. Yeah, yeah like you Natalia know? just lacks totally. And it just it, so it they did tell a story. But I just don't think it was a story that anybody particularly wanted to engage with. They'd have probably been better off trying the submission game than converting it into a brawl. Yeah. Where, like, Natalia maybe goes low and Rhonda tries to go high, can't do it. And then you just. Where you, Natalia
2: realises, I'm woefully outmatched exactly. by the former hardest woman yeah. in the world. So let's be a heel or let's do
3: whatever. Like, it's just. There was a submission exchange where Natalia took a bump into the, like, back of the head first into the post off, like, Rhonda kicking her away. And that was pretty much the most noise the fans had made. So they were clearly there more for, like, boom, thwack, impact than there were constant switching yeah. of body parts and stuff. So it just, it, it, I think it was like a noble failure almost, but they were doomed before the bell rang. Yeah,
2: it's one of those weird things as well, before we move on quickly, where, like, they did tease that, oh, the sharpshooter might be as good as the armbar. Hmm. No, it's not, because he can't really apply it as well as Brett. It's not even the best, not only is it not <laughs> yeah. the best sharpshooter in pro wrestling, right, by some distance. It's also not an armbar in MMA, so you have to be really careful when mm-hmm. you collide those two Ronda's words. was better than Natalia's too, which yeah. is less than ideal. Because one of them is predetermined, one of them's actually real, so there's already that sort of, all right, okay, well, I t- can't really take that seriously, but you have mm-hmm. to execute one in the pro wrestling sphere. So they kind of dropped that, and then they did right. okay, this is boring, yeah. <laughs> and fans aren't really into it, so let's just do some catty mm. men writing women stuff yeah. and about cosmetic surgery and dressing up and, Stupid, wacky cosplay angles. Then just to do a very technical wrestling match Mm -hmm. after the stupid broad strokes of sports entertainment, so everyone was confused, and everyone was, in fact, bored. But (laughs) um, they really woke up to the fact that Ronda uh, Rousey was cashed in on by Liv Morgan in a pretty tense, very, very short, but there's a tiny bit of tension to it, regardless, um, match, which was, again... Not a babyface move, but these people don't care. They have not known what a babyface is for at least 15 years. Mm. So they just see someone they like um, having a little moment for themselves and winning a title. It's it's hard to talk about through the conventional language of pro wrestling and pro wrestling critiques. That's not what this is anymore. So I always struggle with that. But ultimately, it got to pop. People pop for title changes. People tend to like Liv Morgan. And I think if nothing else, like she's done a good job of getting to this position when the fans in the in the arenas really weren't with her throughout the Becky stuff at yeah. all. So she, does, she must have done something right over the, the ensuing few months, and she got a moment. It's not really babyface stuff, but these things rarely aren't. Um, it looks like it's going to be Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey at SummerSlam, per Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer. Um, I don't know what the best way to book this is. Ronda Rousey will have something to say about the way that she won, which is not going to babyface Liv Morgan very much, but these are all... Uh, why am I wasting time with this is preview stuff? Save so something for the goddamn preview. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this? I the tension was really great. It's not like, unlike the big E thing, is it? Where right wrestler with enough crowd support wins in a way that's just going to ruin them inevitably in the end.
3: Yeah. The, the, we've seen this with baby faces before. It's really hard to talk yourself out of the circumstances with which you won the title. The, it was really dramatic. Like Ronda Rousey having Liv Morgan in the anchor lock felt as if that this was going to be it for Liv Morgan. So I think the audience, you could feel the anxiety in the building that maybe Ronda was actually going to retain at Liv's expense. Yeah. And rather than it being... So what suddenly looked quite calculated, Liv has trained for a Money in the Bank match and has won it off the back of the training she has obviously done, has then thought about... In my interview, I'm going to throw off the champions by saying that I'm not going. To, I'm just going to go and celebrate. Those were her words. So she's not only is she trained to win the match, she's then thought about how she's going to use the briefcase, and then she's done it. Babyface has actually thought things through. She's in kayfabe. You want to imagine that she's gone into the night thinking, "I'm going to win the belt. I'm going to win the briefcase, and then I'm going to win the belt. That's my night. How do I do that physically? How do I do it mentally?" And she's seen through her plan. Suddenly, that scans as naive and impetuous when Ronda Rousey gets the ankle lock on. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. So all these thoughts are going through head. So I thought that was actually genuinely quite effective. Rousey catches the kick. You've got this great ankle lock, but she's hobbled by a match with Natalia, and all it takes is then like a roll-up. So I thought that was actually quite effective. I thought that was a m- way more, um, I don't know, believable cashing than just coming in straight away and hitting a finish. You know, like Liv Morgan just takes out and already beaten up Ronda Rousey. Yeah. I thought that, that, and it justifies then Rousey giving her the... Babyface endorsement on the night that is surely going to manifest us. Yeah, like, good snap, but you couldn't beat me if this was a fair fight. Yeah. And that triggers the heel turn. It's quite cruel when she takes the belt back off her. And to be fair, WWE have a long history of giving somebody, giving them a taste of the title. And then the real story, the real quiz, is Liv's journey back to the belt. They sometimes like to do the short title reign. Liv Morgan, by winning the title here, Probably becomes like a favorite for the Royal Rumble. Yeah, it's that's the, that's how they think about, it, not it? Rousey probably wins the belt back. Liv then has to rethink. Like she's had it now. She's seen the top of the mountain, but she couldn't stay there. Like, how do I get back? And all that sort of. And it's a babyface thing, and maybe that time around, that's kind of the making of yeah. Liv Morgan. So I don't think, I, and the crowd took to the whole thing as well. So I, I think they kind of, it's a the Money in the Bank is such a, it's such a tricky one because you're right. Like, it is a heel thing. It is, like, you are being opportunistic and you're being a bit, like, Edge made it a sleazy thing to do on, on somebody that's hurting that. And yet, like, it's just a cool thing for an audience to be a part of. They make noise. And it does sort of travel through the screen. You know, but it, it does every year. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's, like, this briefcase, Carmella had it for, like, nearly a year. And WWE obviously then thought, right, nobody gets it for longer than a day after that. Like, they, 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 they can't, WWE can't manage two cases at once. Yeah. So it's little wonder that the crowd go wild for cashing on the night because they're probably thinking, yeah, we're going to see it. Like She runs out, we're going to see the title change, hands. So I don't know. I, I, like, I like that this was the jolt of energy this card needed because little else did it for me on this. And I don't think Liv Morgan will be a disaster in the aftermath. I think we're well past the era of... like We know that belts are there to make people as much as people are there to make yeah. belts. I think long-term, this will probably work out all right for Liv Morgan. I think if the reactions weren't there, and more on that in the men's main event... If the reactions weren't there, I think you'd have a bigger problem. But the fans were with it. Yeah, fans were not with much
2: of uh, the start of the men's money in the bank mm. Madder, uh, ladder match, which is the main event. Uh, McIntyre, McIntyre, Marshall, Moss, Riddle, Sami Zayn, Seth Rollins, Sheamus, and last minute entrant Theory, who was just as we discussed put into it by Adam Pearce because he's a heel authority figure. Sometimes I don't ask to joke this company is it's just like a five year old. Like could point out the logic apps here. Like anyone with a goddamn brain in their head will know, Jesus Christ, this is absolutely terrible. As of the first, first five minutes, because naturally it was built around a moss and it never felt to me personally like, oh my God, this absolute colossus legitimately, and in terms of the marketing of a bloke, has weapons to play with. He's taller, stronger than everyone else in the match. They're all doomed. It was just so obviously a load of people working around this guy who isn't particularly great. And because he's so not great, it's kind of hard to carry him, even with the shortcut of the ladder. Like there was a spot where they try to do the thing where Amos picks up the ladder and it was Riddle and someone else tried to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get at him but then he swung the ladder back into their faces and oh my god it just looks so unbelievably contrived then they did the spot where they do this for the big man in the ladder match every now and then where they lay him out on the floor they pile ladder upon ladder upon ladder upon ladder on him and they can work a decent match in and around it. Again, it's got the obvious contrivances of every single Money in the Bank ladder match where people are bumping for one spot for like five minutes on end so that there can be like sort of several mini matches within a match. Um, Drew and Sheamus did some quite cool stuff, I thought, mm. um, where they were taking turns to beat the piss out of Austin Theory. We kind of saw a lot of theory and. McIntyre, a lot of Sheamus and McIntyre last year as well, so that's getting completely redundant for me, as well as they often work together. Um, Sami Zayn takes an absolutely disgusting back-of-the-head first bump off a ladder that had been positioned um, between the by the turnbuckle between the middle and bottom ropes. Um, there's not one big iconic spot in this match where you're thinking, geez, other than one cutter from Riddle where I thought that's from a decent height, and the execution yeah. of that was fairly good indeed. And there's not one incredible blow away. I remember the one with, because last year's match was awesome. Remember the one with, um the one that Lesnar won, it must have been 2019, mm-hmm. when Balor, Just bumped so hard on one of the suspended ladders that he just popped back up about three feet back in the air.
3: There was like ricocheted like the rope assisted dive last year. Yeah, yeah. little moments like that. There was
2: nothing I thought in that match of that caliber. I think they were going
3: for the shield bomb on Omos. That was supposed to be the thing. Yeah, their big thing
2: was the shield bomb on Omos, and it just looked like he'd they've lifted him up by about a good foot. He's not that big. I (laughs) lifted him a bit higher, but Pat McAfee. Um, was trying to sell it like mankind jumping off the cell, like this absolute yeah. earth shattering. Oh my God, is he going to be okay? How's anyone doing this? And it's like, well, it just looks a little bit rubbish. <laughs> completely. Um, yeah, there's some other stuff in this match. Pete Dunn or Butch, rather, came in, and there's no tension really because no one's expecting Seamus to do this. Um, a lot of like, I did like Sami Zayn very early when Amos was doing his big <laughs> thing, just hiding and slinking <laughs> the by Jurassic The Jurassic Park uh, yeah, kitchen scene, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, The yeah. So its head in. Sami Zayn was quite good in this, but I didn't really get much from Seth Rican Rollins, if I'm being perfectly no. honest. He's had a great year other than this, but I expected nice that to be a big threat. Oh, I loved his gear. You're good Marty Jannetty wheelie. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was really paying too much attention to those times <laughs> early. Um, in the end, Theory sneaks in, knocks Riddle off a ladder, Um, And this was after the Super RKO spot, which was really good. And he wins in 25 really, really, really long minutes. Uh, This is the weakest Money in the Bank men's ladder match, I can recall, in years and years and years and years and years. And that's probably a decent enough summation of the show in the whole.
3: Yeah, massive disappointment. Um, Permit, if you will, a very short and small personal anecdote because I've got very little to add on this match. So... My son gets up, my oldest son gets up way too early, sometimes about five o'clock in the morning. And we have a rule where there's absolutely no telly, no games, no nothing until seven. So that's been an attempt to try and get him to go back to bed. And like, but it's the light mornings and he's just up and he wants to play and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, I happen to be blackout curtains. Have you got them? Yeah, I got them. Just just, he's just undefeated against blackout curtains. He just, he just. Pulls that little drawer and opens him up. It's daylight. Yeah. He's like, been f- not, no longer fooled by that. So anyway, I'm up early myself, but I'm just watching it on my phone in bed. It's like five in the morning UK time, and he hasn't got up. Something great. So I'm like, great. I've got Money in the Bank on my phone watching. And then about half past uh, six, I think it was, he pops his head the out. The show was finished because he'd skipped through the what? videos. And I engines. tell you what, like, watch when you're not watching live and you're skipping through those, vin- like, there was one for like... Um, there was one for the Miz, I think. On this one, there were so many things that you could like get a Logan Paul thing. Oh my god! Like the vignettes on this one, I saw three hours seven. Hours. That feels a bit like flabby for a WWE L E. And then you realize, my god. So anyway, yeah, the, it's like it's coming to the end of the Ronda Natalia match. I think was that the semi main? Semi main, yeah. yeah. And then he kind of pops Natalia in and a semi main in twenty twenty two.
2: How is this company still winning? I don't know. You kind of tell me theory. It's a bigger star than John Moxley, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Hangman. <laughs> no. it's, just,
3: it's just the brand. It's just the brand. He's holding a piece of merchandise up and taking a selfie with it at this point, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so he comes in, pops his head in. It's like about half past six. I was like, no, like we're not having to switch the games on and that sort of stuff. Nothing until seven. So he's like, oh, can I watch the screen with you? Climbs into bed, and it's just NHC. He's like, like, Yeah, of course, you can. He's not into wrestling, but he just yeah. wants the opportunity to stick his face in front of a screen a little bit earlier than he's normally allowed. Yeah. So, we're sat watching it together, and I cannot be a hypocrite because I'm sat there watching the screen as well. And I'm thinking, Well, at least there's money in the bank. If anything, um, a bit like your anecdote about like the, the Sting party match, yeah, you just yeah, don't know what might suddenly be the moment where wrestling clicks them, and it's getting on for about 20 to 7. And he went back to bed. (laughs) Nothing is going on in this match. And the thing that is normally a fate worse than death, I've got to go back to bed till seven. I can't put the telly on. I've got to go play in my room with the toys that you expensively assembled over years of saved wages. And he does. He's just like, I don't want to watch this, Dad. I'm going to go back to my room. And he was just like, he's probably reading. He was probably actually broadening his horizons while I sit and watch this piece of match. right? Because nothing is happening, and that's the point. Nothing was really going on that felt dramatic. They missed so many... Dramatic moments when they were in their hands. Where was the shot of Omos going, out I ladders, know, I know. like the bulldog and Sting emerging from the bomb in the sea? Yeah, yeah Where yeah. was that, right? You buried him in ladders. I want to see a giant and just. It took <laughs> him like four minutes, I'm sure. Yeah, the big show like did it in that rum- rumble once, didn't he? Yeah. And the oh, rumble. The whole point is he's too big for 10 guys. Omos should be too big for 10 ladders. Show me that. A guy sits up, Aah! like that wasn't there. You just, you just see him get back know, Omos is back cool. It was like watching one of those boring Royal Rumble entries from earlier this year, right? So that was annoying. Um, There was a couple of moments, so the, I liked, uh, I think you isolated it, where they were trading beatings with um, Drew and Sheamus, with Theory, and then, sure enough, like, what are you doing? I hit him harder. No, I hit him harder. And then before they could even have their proper fight, it was broken up by another guy. So where was that payoff? There were so many tiny payoffs that were not given to you in the yeah. match. And the big, huge takeaway, which Liv Morgan had, that nobody had in this match. Do you know who fans wanted to win this match based on ladder climbing? Cody no Rhodes. <laughs> Cody <No> Rhodes. Rhodes. <laughs> because it was not Drew McIntyre. Huge problem, by the way, that yes. Drew McIntyre, they gave you that... Um, Can I boot him a little bit like, in patent pockets? That whole point of a babyface or a heel climbing a ladder slowly when there's nobody's running into the ring. Because bear in mind, we're only seeing the ladder, but in the building... You can see, can't you? If somebody's crawling up, or if I hate this, when their head is peeking above the turnbuckle, looking af- above the apron. I yeah, no, yeah, I hate getting, spotting that on camera. But in the building, it's unavoidable. But the idea is, you are seeing somebody rolling. A Sammy's in. Somebody to play spoiler. There's a couple of times where a couple of different baby faces. Riddle was another one. They were telling you on commentary. Michael Cole, sentimental favorite. Sentimental favorite. Riddle and Drew had three climbs at that briefcase. And the fans were not with either of them. There was not a single babyface in this match that the fans wanted to win enough. It that was undeniable. That undeniable that when Theory did it, it was like, ah, oh, you stopped. Insert wrestler here. Remember when Punk, you realised Punk's babyface time was coming due when he was in um, the second one he won? It was and Christian Christian's Roo. first yeah, one back, yeah, yeah. right? Christian had only just come back from TNA and he was like returning cult hero. Huge pop for climbing it. And then Punk stops him and you're like, ah, oh. right then. So not only is Christian the guy, but you're going to have to turn Punk heel. People have had enough of him as a babyface. I'm not suggesting that you turn Riddle or Drew heel. They're just not the top babyfaces. We've been saying this for a while. They are not the top guys. You had as much as you could get with Riddle. Roman's beating him. He was there. I think Riddle could have been there if they hadn't done that stupid Roman Reigns match. But they've beaten him. Drew ain't it, and we're getting him regardless, I think, at Clash at the Castle. And as a result, you're left with this strange atmosphere where, oh, if only a hero had stopped theory. Well, the hero's rehabilitating in that gym vignette we had. Recycle from Raw. That's yeah. where he is. That's the baby face and he wasn't there. And that put Liv Morgan's victory, shone a great spotlight on Liv Morgan's victory because at least they'd identified who the baby face was and delivered it. So the kind of disastrous women's money in the bank match yielded a result that the men's match couldn't even if it had been well worked, which it wasn't. Yeah.
2: I just thought this was not a good show at all. And even when they do a seven out of 10 every month, it's like you've got so much money <laughs> yeah. you fired so many great workers you when you had those great workers under your employ, you did absolutely nothing with them because you're just a stupid out of touch tedious at this point organization if we've been too harsh let us know on twitter <laughs> underneath this podcast link at what culture wwe because i know people did find it good what have we missed that was so goddamn good
3: about money though just so we haven't missed this i thought like becky lynch and Carmella's gear were both excellent there we go. There's an odd for those two. They both look pretty cool. Just so people can't find, well, you didn't talk about their Money in the Bank themed gear. We did. It was nice. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So you can follow us all at What Culture
2: WWE and let us know your thoughts, which we are earnestly into. Um, you can also, whilst you're there, follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit uh, You can follow me at M. Um, Sidgwick later on in your podcast feeds today. we have a review of Rampage. Not a review of SmackDown, no point. Um, on a narrative level, not because we didn't watch it. Uh, we'll also preview Raw, which I've got kind of worked right about because what on earth can we talk about? <laughs> um, Brad Maddox doing PWG is now your new main event talent, Jesus Christ Almighty. Uh, so stick around for those, we'll make them fun we always do but until then thanks for joining us and we will see you soon